If you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open it to um, the book of John chapter 7, we're going to start a little bit before where Kate began, but we're going to focus, we're going to end up our time focusing on that. And while you're turning there, I know that things started a little bit funny, but for those of you guys who are visiting, I just want to say a special word of welcome. We are glad that you're here. We'd love to have a record of your visit. There's a little thing that you can tear off in your bulletin and fill that out and drop it in the offering box at the back of the sanctuary. We'd just love to get to know you a bit, find out how we can be praying for you. And, um, and yeah, and, and really throughout the service, if you notice inside uh, on that little flap for all of us, whether you're new, you've been here forever, you can put prayer requests there. But if there's something, some way that you would, you're feeling like the Holy Spirit is moving in your life, whether it's through song, through the passage that, um, that Kate read, or through, through, through something that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that you'd like to process through. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's just a time of prayer and counsel. Feel free to put that on there. Drop it in the box, and, and I'll be happy to follow up at, at some point. Um, but let me, let me pray for us once again as we open the word of the Lord together. God, we come before you. We humble ourselves before you and before your word, and we pray that by your word and through the insight and conviction of your Holy Spirit, you would transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as as we begin, I I have a question for you. Do you ever geek out? And what do I mean by that? I mean, by geeking out, I mean really, really diving into learning something about something as much as you can just for the sake of knowing it. It might be a hobby. It might be a career field. It might be something else. Think about this. Oh, I think I can't move. So it might be a, so think about this. What about animals? Zoe loves animals. And I'll give you a little insight into Zoe. Sorry, Zoe. Um, She does like to geek out on animals, learning all the proper bedding for hamsters. And we don't have a hamster right now, but she would love to have some little critters. She's learning, researching, figuring out the best care. I know some of you guys are hunters. And maybe you geek out a little bit throughout the non-hunting season to find out where exactly the great hunting grounds are, right? Or maybe it's architecture. You look around and you see the beautiful edifices in D.C. or other places. Or maybe you go up to Falling Water and just get amazed at all of the the intricacies of Frank Lloyd Wright and some of these other things. Or maybe for you it's art. Maybe it's it's different medium of art, how to use watercolor, how to use oil, how to use ceramics or anything like that. Or maybe you, like me, like to geek out over cars. Not so much about the intricacies of how an engine works because I know nothing but how fast they go and how quickly they get to that place. Or maybe your geeking session is over cooking. Finding out the best new recipes, figuring out the way to make all the flavors come out of stuff. We could keep going. Talk about cryptocurrency or financial news. Oh, what about knitting and sewing? Finding out the latest techniques in how best to fashion a piece of work together. Some of us like to geek out over news events. Maybe a little too much. 
Or maybe it's geeking out over musical skills, working and working and working to, to hone those skills and make your fingers work in all the right ways. Or maybe for you it's sports, getting the, the latest detail on how many three-pointers that guy has shot or how many home runs or what the ERA is for this pitcher or the quarterback score, rating, quarterback rating. Or maybe it's just in general technology, going from 4G to 5G to million G and, and how all that's going to work out. Or maybe your geek sessions happen over theology. You want to study the latest book by some high-thinking gospel coalition person and figure out how this nuance impacts your life. There are so many ways that we can geek out. We can geek out by reading print media like newspapers and magazines and books, and we can get it through normal news outlets like radios and televisions and cable news. But now with the, with the advent of all these podcasts and YouTubers, there are so many ways that we can geek out. Today, we're going to geek out with something that you have in your hand. And that is with the word of God. Is that okay? It's going to feel, and I, today is going to feel a little bit different because today is going to feel more like a classroom. We're going to look at stuff. So if you have your copy of God's word, I want to encourage you to open up a printed copy of God's word. Something like this. Okay? If you don't have one of these, grab the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. And open up to John chapter 7. Because the reason why we're going to do this is because I want you to see some things that are there that are in this passage that we're going to be looking at today. So whether you have an ESV or KJV and NIV and NASB, you should be able to do what we're about to do in your own Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take the Bible that's right in front of you. If it's not in very good shape, come talk to me and I'll get you a better one. But I want to make sure that you have this. And, and I want to tell you, we're not geeking out just to be nerdy. And by the way, no offense to nerds, right? We're, we're, we're doing this so that we can understand and appreciate the beauty of the Word of God. Because as I mentioned in the midweek, I think God allowed, God inspired people to write the, His Word the way they did, to organize it, to fashion it for a reason, so that we would understand it, so that we would have an appreciation for what is there. Again, we're going to start in John chapter 14. I'm sorry, John chapter 7, verse 14. And let me just take us back real briefly, because if this, if this seems familiar, it's because about four weeks ago, Pastor Aramal started us talking at the beginning of John chapter 7. And then I talked, he, and he introduced the Feast of Tabernacles to us. And then the next week I talked about the, the woman who was caught in adultery and how Jesus handled that. And then the, the week after we talked about Jesus' claim to be the light of the world. And then last week we considered what he said when he said to abide in his word, abide in his teaching. So now we're going to come back and take a, a look back at these two chapters that we've now spent four weeks on. And we're going to look at it one more time. And I promise we're not going to come back to this I, I shouldn't promise. I don't think we're going to come back to this again the rest of the year. So, but I want us just to look back at something. We're going to consider all of chapter 7 and 8. And if you get the midweek email, you know that I gave you some homework, right? Anybody do their homework? I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to be depressed. 
But I challenged you to read over these two chapters a couple of times and making notes of things that are repeated, making notes of things that happen that show up a couple times because they're there for a reason. So if you did your homework, you probably noticed, wow, there are certain themes that come up again and again. And as we do this, I, what, part of the reason I wanted you to do this is I want you to see one of the tools that biblical writers use in helping us understand and helping us grasp the Word of God. And that is something called a chiastic structure. And we've mentioned that before. We mentioned it a, a, a while ago, but a chiastic structure or a, a chiasm, as the Lexham uh, Glossary of Theology says, is a literary structure where parallel elements correspond in an inverted order. What? You have A, B, C, and then notice what it says there, C prime, inverted, B prime, and A prime. So it's the same thing, just in reverse order, kind of restating something or taking another view of the same thing. Part of the point of a chiasm is to use patterns to focus on a central theme, to get us to really wrestle with something that is there in the text. These can also be used as a mnemonic device, as a way of helping us memorize and rehearse the Word of God. In fact, when we were doing our overviews of, of the, all of the, if you remember, we did sermon overviews of all of the books of the Bible. And when we got to the book of Lamentations, Lamentations, the entire five-chapter book, is one big chiasm. It, it starts at the beginning as kind of a depressing place and moves forward until the very middle of the book when we get some of those greatest words that we've heard. Great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new. Every, and then it descends back to the same challenge that they're in because after all it's called the book of lamentations because they're not very happy at that point they're lamenting the situation they're in and so today as we study John 7 14 through the end of chapter 8 we're also going to look at this chiastic structure we're going to look at how John formats this but we're also going to ask the question why what is John trying to get us to understand what is he trying to get us to do and so I want to just give you a few steps here, and we're going to look at these very, very in a more blown out way. But if we were to look at, you know, is a passage, is there something here? The first thing we have to really begin with is observation. We have to ask the question, well, what is there? And then we have to figure out, well, if, if, is, is this a chiasm? Are there, are there themes that are repeated in sort of a balanced way? Is there something we should look at? Then the next thing we'd want to do is find the bookends, the beginning and the end. And what is the, the parameters? What are the parameters for our conversation? And then we're going to match things up and then finally consider the middle of it. So let's look at this passage and see what pattern emerges. And, and, and so, as I said, the first step is really to observe. And whether it's this passage or another passage, it's important that we pay attention to what is there. Don't just read it and say, oh, I got it, check, devotion's done. But take time. Read big chunks of scripture, read small chunks, observe, pay attention to what is there. As I was reading through this and as I was studying this, I noticed that there are a few different themes. And you can write these in the little blank that's there. I know there's not very much space, but in these verses from, from chapter 7, verse 14, all the way through the end of chapter 8, here are some things that I saw repeated a couple different times. One is the theme of killing. 
the theme of killing. And in fact, people, Jesus brings up the idea that the people are trying to kill him. And then the people bring up the idea that maybe the religious leaders are trying to kill Jesus. And then he brings it up again. Another theme that is there is that Jesus gets accused of having a demon, being demon-possessed in, in a couple different places. We also see that Jesus talks about, uh, he discusses things around a, the judgment, about the way that he judges, around the way that they judge, warns them not to judge. Another theme that comes up is the idea of seeking. Jesus tells them that they will seek him, but they will not be able to go where he's going, and they will not find him. Then he makes a couple of bold statements that we've looked at, and we're going to see this again. So if you're not getting all this, we're going to get it in just a minute. We see the, but, and kind of one of the things that helps us get to the beginning and the end is we see Jesus' proximity to the temple. And so let me just kind of um, talk about it briefly. So number two is the bookend, looking at the beginning and the end. And normally when, I, when I'm studying a chiasm, it, it would make like a sideways V or a, a greater than sign. Or from your perspective, less than sign. Because the first one and the last one correspond with each other. What we're going to do today is we're going to actually make it look like a U. So that we can turn the, turn the V on its, on its bottom. And look at the, we're gonna, because we're going to focus on what's there at the end. And, and I, I realize this is like, what? What are you saying? So let's look at the bookends. Let's look, look at the beginning, the top end of the U. Or the top and bottom of this greater and less than sign. And really what, this, uh, what, what we have here is um, here, here's your blank. Letter A is Jesus enters the temple. We see that in John chapter 7, verse 14. Remember, it's roughly the middle of the feast. Jesus shows up, and it says um, that he went into the temple and began teaching, began instructing people. Well, then the question is, when does Jesus leave the temple? If you, if you were reading through everything, you'd see that there's a point in the middle, and we talked before about the, the little pericope, the little story about the woman caught in adultery was inserted later. If we pull that out for a quick moment, where does Jesus exit the temple? I'll give you a hint. 859. It's the very last verse, right? The very last verse that we're looking at. Jesus exits the temple. In fact, it's not under good circumstances because they picked up stones to throw at him. So he exited stage left. So then, now that we have the outside of our, of our chiasm, now we get to begin to look. What's in the middle? What, what makes this up? So we get to match things up and see if there is a correlation. There might not always be. You could go through this exercise on your own, and you might not find the same things. And so here's, let's look at this together. So letter B, Jesus says they seek to kill him. Look at what he says in verse 19 of chapter 7. Has not Moses given you the law, yet, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? He asked them that question. Well, guess what? That question comes up again in chapter 8, verses 37 to 40. Jesus says they seek to kill him. I know that you are of the offspring of, day, of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because, of, because my word finds no place in you. So you see it in the first chapter, chapter 7, and now in the second chapter, chapter you have these parallel things going on. It's, Wait, it, it come, came up twice. Let's pay attention to that. So what's the next thing? Letter C, the accusers called, say that Jesus has a demon. And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? 
ironically, just a few verses later, they're telling him, hey, isn't, isn't this the guy that religious leaders are seeking to kill? And then in the, again in chapter 8, verse 48, Jesus, the accusers say he has a demon. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So there's now two parallel statements in different places. We're moving towards something. The next thing we see, letter D, is that is a warning about judging. In 724, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And again, in a parallel set of verses in chapter 8, Another discussion about judging, verses 15 to 20. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Another observation we can make is that is the next one, letter E. A warning about seeking. Jesus then in 37, 32 to 36, Jesus said to them, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me, and you will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. That, that same theme comes up again. Where Jesus, in, in uh, letter E prime, in chapter 8, verses 21 to 24, where Jesus says they will seek him, but they will die. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me. But you will die in your sin, and where I am going, you cannot come. So do you, do you see kind of how it's working and how John is, is, is bringing us to a point, and he's taking us out of that point? So we're going to get to the middle, or we're going to find out what is the point he's trying to get us to understand. There are two more that we need to look at. One, and these are two bold statements by Jesus. One is Jesus cries, living water. He says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then just after the, the little incident with the woman uh, caught in adultery, Jesus makes a very similar claim, not about water, but about light. He says, I am the light of the world. Again, he spoke, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, if you're in my Bible, one of the things I did is on the in the margins. By the way, this is the Bible you guys gave me in October. Thank you very much. In the margins over here, I wrote some of these letters, A, B, C, D, so I could see them when they showed up on the other side. So that I could find out, well, what is, what is the point? What is John helping us try to understand? So that brings us to this middle. We get to consider the middle of this argument. We get to consider the middle of this passage. Do you see how the pattern is coming together? John's marching his way down. We're going to get to something in just a moment. He marched his way back up. And all of these things kind of correlate if you notice there might there might be a slight discrepancy in some of the orders but all the themes are there so let's consider what john is trying to help us understand essentially what we might call in this case the identity inquiry the identity inquiry see ultimately in this section john is bringing to 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 our attention 
This argument that is happening among two groups of people is happening among commoners and it's happening among the religious leaders. They're really trying to figure out who is this Jesus? What is this guy and what do we do with him? So it begins with a debate among the people. You see, these people are not thinking clearly. They've heard him and they've said, wow, he's got some good things to say. Is this the Christ? No, he can't be the Christ. He's from this place. He can't be from there. Some people want to call him the prophet. If you remember way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses told the people of Israel, he said, there will be a prophet like me and him you should listen to. Pay attention to him. So some people, were, they were always looking for, who is this one prophet, this one guy? Maybe Jesus is that guy. But then some people are saying, no, 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 this is the Christ. The Messiah, the anointed one. Clearly, they're thinking the prophet and the Messiah are two different people. And yet, I think one of the things that we have to pay attention to is that Jesus, that John is helping us see, no, the prophet and the Messiah are one. And that one is Jesus Christ. But then they ask this question about his origin. Look real briefly, if you have your Bibles open, um, look in verse 42 of chapter 7. I'm sorry, look at 41. He says, this is the Christ. But someone says, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there, were, there was a division among the people. So they begin to question. They say, well, this guy sounds like a Galilean. He's called Jesus of Nazareth. He, he can't be the Christ. The challenge is, so those of you guys who have attended a handful of Christmas Eve services, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Who, what line was he from? The line of David. He is the very person that they are trying to figure out, and yet they don't believe. They haven't asked the question. They haven't inquired, Jesus, where are you from? Of course, Jesus is always talking about his, his, his heavenly origin, and he's not talking about his earthly one. But they haven't inquired, they haven't asked the question, where were you born? They're just assuming because he talks like a Galilean that he's from Galilee originally. So once they get to this conclusion, the, the normal people, people like us, they, they, they get to this place, we don't know what to do with Jesus. John points out that they're not the only ones who are having this problem because there's a debate among the leaders. Now, this, this debate among the leaders is prompted by the fact that they had sent the guards, they had sent the security of the temple to go and arrest Jesus and bring him in. Now, these aren't like military people. This might be like, like deacons, okay? Big, burly deacons who would say, hey, come, Jesus, we need to talk to you, right? And, and so... But these guys come, the officers come back to the religious leaders, and they're, the religious leaders are, why are you empty-handed? We told you to arrest him. And they say, we have never heard anyone talk like this guy. So instead of seeking more, religious, more information, the religious leaders claim that the officers have been deceived. And then they say that all of these other people, who are following after Jesus have been accursed. They've been deceived. Now they're, now they're cursed. They are 
ignorant and unwilling, unable to make a rational decision. But then one of their own, Nicodemus, look in verse, uh, in chapter 7, verse 50. It says, Nicodemus, who had gone before him, we, we read about that in John chapter 3, who was one of them, one of the Pharisees, said to them, the other Pharisees, does not our law, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Nicodemus is trying to say, hey, guys, should we pay attention to this? Should we inquire? Should we ask questions? And yet their response, <laughs> they're basically saying, are you from Galilee too? And then they ask this really interesting question. They said, see to it, search and see that no prophet rises from Galilee. They're trying to say the scriptures don't talk about Galilee, and, and, and it's true. In the Old Testament, the region of Galilee was not known as Galilee. It was known as Samaria. And so they're, they're looking at it, they're saying, see to it that no prophets have arisen from there, or no prophet was going to, and yet there are three prophets that we have in our Old Testament who were from that region. One is Jonah. And we, we can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. Another one is Elijah. We learn about his origins. It's from that region in, in 1 Kings 17, 1. And also Nahum, who has a whole book. And we, we see that in Nahum chapter 1, verse 1. So to some degree, for some reason, these guys are all biased against Galileans. And they say, well, he's from there. Hey, we can't listen to him. He's not like us. So we have to keep in mind as we think through this that when John originally wrote this, he, he most likely wrote this to the people in Ephesus, people who had initially believed in Jesus Christ and then were becoming, were, were falling back, they're beginning to doubt, they're beginning to question. And so he, he keeps bringing back into, in, in, into their, trying to get them to pay attention. Here is who Jesus is. That's why he's written this. And so as we think about the central part of this chiasm, we have to ask the question, why did John organize this this way? Why did he bring all of these things together? Why did he uh, make this argument the central part of this debate? So maybe John has organized all of this together as a means of inviting us into the debate. Maybe he's raised all these questions. Oh, he's a demon. He's, he's, he's illegitimate. He's all these things. We're gonna, they're seeking and there's judging. and all. Maybe he's bringing that all together so that we would pay attention and inviting us to wrestle with who Jesus is. Remember, as we read a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, in John 7, 37 to 38, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then again, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. 
So the question really becomes, is Jesus who he says he is? And if so, what am I going to do about it? What difference does it make? You see, one of the things we have to wrestle with is, is, is the fact that so, so often we want to think, in fact, if you were in the, the adult Bible study a little, a little bit ago, and if you're not part of that, let me encourage you to, to jump in, because Carl has curated some really good discussions and some they're excellent they're every Sunday morning at 10 at yeah 10 o'clock but one of the things we wrestled with today was the fact that there are we have to look at what our role is as Christians in the world what difference does it make that we believe in Jesus Christ what role does Jesus have in our lives is it just about something to do on Sunday morning is it just about being able to say, yeah, I'm, I have a Christian, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm going to raise the Christian flag? Or is it going to make a difference in our lives Monday through Friday, Saturday? Is it going to make a difference every other day of the week? Because ultimately, if we're going to follow Jesus, it means we're not going to do the things that these religious leaders are saying. Because they're wanting us to conform. They're saying, do this. You'll show yourself a good religious person if you do this and you don't do that. And it's, it's all about the do's and don'ts. And I think with Jesus Christ, one of the things we find is that it's all about him being Lord. And if he is in charge... If Jesus Christ is in charge, then every decision I make is going to go through the lens of, Jesus, what will make you happy? How can I honor you best? I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and therefore, I am going to order my life after you. I'm going to submit. What difference does it make? See, as we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and allow him to transform us, then it's not about obeying a set of rules. It's about obeying a person who has revealed his will for us in his word. And we get to come to it daily. We don't have to have an interpreter. We don't have to have a guru. We don't have to lead, have a leader that says, this is what it says. You have access to the word of God, and I pray that you use it, study it, pour your life into understanding what it says, and then living it out, asking God, how can I live this out fully? Because when you align yourself with Jesus Christ, you're not aligning yourself with me or with the elders. It's not about what we say goes. <laughs> He's our Lord, too. And it's all of us submitting together before Jesus Christ. We sang early on in the service, I lay me down, it's not my own. I am yours. So are we truly his? So beloved brother and sister in Christ, I pray that maybe through this little exercise, I know it was kind of weird and different, but I pray it gives you a kind of a tool in your spiritual tool belt to be able to dive into the word of God and, and read it. Enjoy it. Study it. Not, for, not just to geek out and not just for intellectual assent, but for transformation. Say, God, why did you do this? What are you calling me to do? But I also pray that we will have confidence 
in Jesus Christ, that he's more than just a good teacher. He's more than just a religious leader. He is the anointed one of God. And he is, he is the one that we want to hitch our wagon to, that we want to be identified with for all eternity. And friend, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I think John is inviting you into the debate. He's inviting you to say, well, who, who is this Jesus? Is he worth following? Is he worth aligning myself to? Because after all, his entire book, we've, we've talked about this before, but his entire book is written with this in mind. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. So if you don't yet believe, will you believe? We sang about that. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus will come again. Oh, I believe in the name of Jesus because he is the source of living water. He is the, the illuminating light in the world. He shows us how we should live. He is the catalyst for change in the world. That was one of the topics that came up this morning in that class. How do we get on the right side of history, right? History is always changing. There's all these trends. Well, the word of God never changes. So if we're on Jesus' side, we're on the right side eternally. He is, Jesus is the only means of eternal life in the kingdom of God. And he is the way to be reconciled with God. So if you don't yet believe, I pray that you would. Let's have a conversation and talk about that. Let's, let's close in prayer. God, we do thank you so much for your word for this time, for the joy that we have of studying your word together. And God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to walk in light of who you are. Help us to live rejoicing in all that we have through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for calling us to be your people. Help us to walk in a way that honors you. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.